When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back for another week of defense with DC, and the focus this week is going to be on handling motions, the plays that you see early in the game, and how you should prepare to handle those all game long. Being able to play variations of the same coverage to be able to change things up for the offense, yet keep things simple for your guys on defense, run fits versus bunch, and then of course we have our option tips. And joining me as he does every week, Defensive coordinator of the USFL Michigan Panthers, Dan Carroll. Dan, thanks for being back for another week of this. And I'm excited to talk some defense here as we took a little bit of a break and went on the idea of complimentary football last week. Yeah, it was a great week. A lot of things to learn from, a lot of information out there. It's enjoyable to sit down, watch it, take some notes, and put yourself in the shoes of some of these coaches. And, you know, as the season winds down, there's tips here and there that really make a difference in your season the fun part of, of being able to sit back and be in the positions that we are and watch games is beyond the entertainment of the game it is a chance to learn so you sit down and start watching certain things and you'll start to see some patterns to develop and you think about just different ways that you can handle those and I know one of the games that you focused on was Missouri and South Carolina and Missouri doing a great job of holding South Carolina 203 yards 3.8 yards per play for the game admittedly not two teams i'm most familiar with as far as what i've seen this year um familiar with some of their coaches and people on their staff and a relationship with blake baker defense coordinator at missouri but was really impressed with just how missouri played what they were able to do on defense I, i thought that you know again i don't know what they've been doing all year but they were relatively simple as far as what they were asking of their of the players but they presented enough pictures for the offense to where maybe they weren't in sync. The offense wasn't in sync enough to really know what they were in. So, you know, the first thing you notice is South Carolina, in the very beginning of the game, they gave two variations of counter in the first three plays. So they were two different. One was OY and one was an OT counter. So just thinking about that, and really not that every coordinator scripts the first 10 or 12 on offense. I think some probably do, some don't. I know they script maybe the first and second down plays. And then, you know, your third down, if you get in any other situations early in the game somehow, you know, maybe off a turnover, you're or a long kick return, you're in red zone. All that, you know, is a little different. But I do think every coordinator says we want to get these plays in early and see how they go and whatever that is. So I look at that like once I see something early in the game, especially if it's something we hadn't repped a ton. And again, maybe South Carolina runs counter 50 times a game. I, I don't really know. But it just seemed like to get two versions of it early in the game. In that situation, for me, I would have went back and said, okay, we are going to get a lot of counters. So we need to coach through not just the two that we saw, but the other formations that they have, the blitzes that we could be in in those situations, and any other type of secondary support we might be playing that would put one of our DBs 
in a run fit situation he's not normally in based on those two plays that we saw. So, you know, it would have been coming off that first series on the sideline, it would have been a mad dash to, all right, get counter coached up with the guys. And, and we got to go, you know, whoever's in the box helping you. Okay, what are the uh, what are the formations? They're willing to do it these two ways. These are the formations they did it out of. Okay, how else can they get to this? They're going to go to a two-back version of it, or they're going to go to a two-by-two two version of it because it was three-by-one. So where are they going to attack back at us again with counter? And what are going to be the calls we might be in that could be a run fit that we didn't really rep this week very often? Again, you, typically for us, that'd be like, okay, we, we figured out that if we do it and they're in this, if we're in this rotation and they run it, that means our safety's going to have to make the tackle. We've got to make sure he's ready to do that. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to note is whether somebody has a scripted set of openers or they have some objectives early on, it is about testing out the defense and seeing this is what we worked on all week. How are they going to align? Does this hold up? Uh, and also seeing like if, you're, if you've put in a little bit of a wrinkle, how are they going to handle that wrinkle, right? And, and planning for that as well. So that's a sound approach to the beginning of the game, right? Because you don't want to just constantly be having to go to the sideline and get the chalk and do it again and again, rather than saying right off the bat, hey, we need to handle this right now. Yeah, I mean, so much of being a coordinator and just being a coach, being an assistant, a position coach, anything, is being out in front of what's about to happen. And you're going to get information. You're constantly in the game, constantly getting information that's telling you, you know, what might happen. I mean, I've been through it where you see a guy get loose on a run play on RPOs or he's getting behind the defense or, you know, whatever. Maybe it's a glance RPO that they hand the ball off and he's getting behind the defense consistently. Like the post is going to come now. I mean, you might have thought that that was just an inside zone play that you stuffed for plus two, okay? They ran it three times. We stuffed it for plus two every time. It was easy. But the guy in the box is seeing that his guy's getting behind the defense, right? He's getting behind the safety. So the play action post is probably coming. It's just those type of things that you have to see throughout the game to, to anticipate what's next. And, and honestly, like you see those things in the game, and, and the offense sees them too, and they're eventually going to try to get them called, but maybe they never do. You know, I'm, probably, I'm sure that there's a lot of things I've coached on the sidelines that never actually came to fruition, but there's a, a reason for coaching, right? You saw something in the game, and if I saw it, believe me, if I saw it, I know the offense coordinator in the box saw it. So I got to assume he's going to attack that too, and I got to get the players ready for it. So, you know, it's, it, and then when it does happen, when, it, when you do call it and it does hit, you know, the players tend to, you know, tend to build their confidence a little bit in the game plan and in the coach and that thing. So it's, it's, it's really good. But the important thing, use that information as first drive, first two drives. Like, what is the theme? What did they practice? Right. And you're going to get your defensive calls that you practice. If you build an auto blitz or you build an auto coverage or something like that, you're going to get that thing in early. They're going to get their stuff in early. And then it's going to be who can use that information and what the other one's thinking the best, right, as the game moves on to, to make the adjustments they need to win. I know another thing you see earlier in the in the game and certainly something I would try to script in in openers is any kind of movements we were going to use, whether that's a shift in that emotion or just a motion right off the bat. Uh, it's, again, testing out how you're going to handle those things. So, you know, I think that's the, the next thing you saw is just some ways to handle the different motions. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of theories on it. I see a lot of different ways to do it they they spun motion out of one high early on and you know that motion a lot of times ties into gap schemes i think that's a smart thing that offenses do because when you motion 
Like if it's from, if I'm the defense, I'm staring left. I'm staring. Motion goes from my left to right. And then you pull back to the right also. Not only did you have to bump everybody or hand over the secondary possibly, but you also had to then after the pull, everybody got to keep bumping over. So you can really, you know, run people, get out in front of people when you motion left to right and then you pull gap scheme left to right at the same time, right? But yeah, I do, I do believe we like to handle speed motion with a spin. And I, I want the nickel to be able to run if he can recognize it's a cross motion, if it's, you know, any type of just change of strength motion where the guy's going to jog over there and get set up or he's going to give you time to stay in front of the motion. But if it's a motion that we can't stay ahead of, we want to spin. And that's like, wow, that's, that sounds good. How do you know? And the answer is you really don't know. So I let the, the nickel, if he thinks it's a possibility of motion by alignment pre-snap, it could be the same. We'll talk about it in a second. He can alert spin. And then if he spins it on a regular cross motion, we're fine. He's going to know how to play that high safety role. If he doesn't spin it, and it's jet motion, he's got to make the play. That's just the variations there. But we try to work during the week. Who are the guys that are going to run jet motion? When are they going to do it? And a lot of people, when you really break it down, they're not going to get in the exact same formations with the exact same splits and run across motion and run you know, speed motion or jet motion, right? So you can really get it down to pretty much this is the jet motion guy, this is the split he runs it from, anything else is likely to be another motion that I want you to track. So the next question is, how do you do it if you're in base defense? I mean, if you've got to put a stand backer out there because they're in 12 or they're in 21 and they want to go slot and they want to do it, do you put the sand backer high? And that is a great question. <laughs> I have done that. I'm more likely to do it if we're in too high because he's a run fitter on that side anyway. He doesn't have if two goes in motion. He's typically not going to have a vertical, and if it is, it's a tight end. So it's a guy he could play vertical anyway. I've done it. It's not something I'd recommend. So – you want to come up with a way, then what becomes the problem is do you bump everything in base defense and then you try to spin everything in nickel defense. So, you know, so then it becomes a little different. But I like the spinning because I like to keep the backers to backers, right? When you end up with a nickel in the A-gap and a will linebacker out covering a receiver or out in the apex or something like that, and really in so many instances, I think you gave the offense exactly what they wanted. So I try to tend to handle it with the secondary players the best we can. If we are in base and people are motioning on us, we'll have a different plan a lot of times weekly or, you know, whatever fits us best in that case. But I do think I like how they handled it with the secondary, kept the backers the backers. And, you know, that was off one of those counter plays was the jet motion, and they were able to fit it up with the linebackers and I think not get it down, I think, from a negative if that was the same one I'm remembering. But it was the, keeping the linebackers the linebackers by using the secondary to handle the jet motions is certainly – something that I think is important, especially when people are trying to get you going lateral to run the ball. Regardless of the phase of the game, one of the concepts of football is to keep it simple for your guys and how they do things, but make it complex in how your opponent's going to have to handle it. And I know that you saw a lot of variations of cover three, of one high type of coverage, yet they were able to utilize in doing that a lot of the same techniques. And I think that's just a sound approach to football because you, it goes back to the fundamentals, right? And you want your guys to get good at things. And I think especially if you have a young team uh, or you're, you're in a game that you got to be really good because the opponent's good, this kind of approach really helps your team. Yeah, you know, the biggest thing that you notice when you do that 
you get the most out of it though when when you are able to make them look different. So you know they played like three Sky Week, they played three Buzz Week, they played three Buzz Strong, and then they played three Buzz Strong that went to three Cloud to the field. So the field safety was down in like a hook position. The boundary safety ran clear to the field third. The field side corner played the flat, and then they spun backside corner over. Right. So. It was like he was down in the three butts, and then he came back as the middle of the field player. So, you know, the field side safety is down in that position. Backside corner goes to the field third, and then the field safety is down in the buzz position. He gets to the middle of the field. So it was an interesting concept, but it did look different, right? I thought they were going to some version of a, I thought I really thought they were bringing field pressure is what it looked like. It looked like they were going to, you know, fire the guy in there, bring the nickel and the mic probably, and, and run some type of field fire zone. So when you're able to do it and it really does look different, I think is when it's most successful because like you said, I can go in the week and say, Hey, these are the ways that we're going to present different pictures. But Hey backers, all you need to know from a cover standpoint this week is you're going to be playing hook drops. You're going to be playing curl flat. So, you know, when we go buzz, like, well, linebackers, you got to play curl flat. When we go sky, you both are going to be hook droppers. So Mike, you probably just going to have to know which hook to drop to based on where the safety support is. So, when you can do that and you can spend your indie time honing in on that and really matching the routes and, and saying, you know, obviously they got a couple extra other coverages in there for the week and some third down stuff, but, you know, we're going to play 40 plays, 40 some plays probably in cover three. And I can sit there and I can talk, you know, safeties, deep thirds and corners, your deep thirds, except, you know, we might have some field cloud in and play three cloud, but, for the most part, our technique work, our alignment work can be focused on A, trying to show other things as we're getting the variations of cover three, and B, just we can just show and teach how how to match these routes in cover three and where. And, and then, you know, if you get good at it, then you kind of teach it a lot of times, not as positions, but as X's on the board for the four underneath guys and who needs to be closing off what lanes and which direction they need to be melting. And, you know, if they're reading two to one to, to try to expand their zones, that type of thing. So I did. I thought that. You know, I thought it was a really good first, second down game plan for them. I thought the quarterback did never found a rhythm. So I would have to say that they were, I don't, you know, I don't know about confused, but he wasn't able to find a rhythm and get the ball out on time because of the variations he was seeing. So I did think they did a nice job of, of doing some things in cover three that, you know, I've never really seen the three buzz look, the three clouds where that guy goes back to the middle of the field. So that's pretty good. Now, when you're looking at, at that and, and trying to, as you said, like play 40 snaps or something and, in uh, a variation, let's say, of cover three, uh, how, how much do you need of those other types of coverages, what else, whatever else you might use, to just create a little balance for them not to be able to key in on, you know, well, we're going to get a, a, a one-eye high look, and this is these are the concepts we're going to use because they're best against one high regardless of how they're spinning. How much do you need just as a change up and, you know, a curveball for them so that they can't necessarily say, you know, we're going to do this all the time? Yeah, I think that you want to find the places. If you're trying to make the game plan simple, you want to find the places that it's advantageous to be a little different. And, you know, one thing, the first snap they got in like true 20 picture, like um, split backs. And I don't know what the scouting of it was. But a lot of times, I think, in three, people feel like they got 
two on two out there to the bubble game where, you know, you might be three over two if you're in cover two or if you're in like palms or quarters, something like that. But the first play out of that split backs was a bubble to two. And for whatever reason, Missouri was in trap out there with the corner and he absolutely blew the play up. So, you know, I didn't know if, you know, maybe they always ran the bubble out of that and that's why Missouri was in trap or maybe just called trap at the right time. And they're out there thinking, all right, we're going to be two on two out there. We might be able to crack the, the nickel out there and get the ball, you know, one-on-one with the slot and versus a corner who might be off at, you know, eight yards and pedaling or whatever. So I don't know how the, the, how that would have went down, but I thought it was interesting that the one time they played some trap, the corner got inside and he smacked two and it was a play. It looked like it was the first time they were in that formation. And that's the only time I saw that, that coverage get called. So it seemed like, you know, they had a, had a good plan for that formation. But so I think times like that, if you can look at some of the variations of things that the offense does and say, Look, we want to match up too high coverage. I mean, we want to get maybe eight to ten snaps of it just to just to keep it mixed up. And I'm talking first and second down generally because there were there were a lot of fires on third down, but and some man. But I want to play just maybe a few snaps of man, a few snaps of, of a split safety defense on first and second down. But I think the best way to get them in is versus this call or versus this, or versus this formation or you know versus this personnel grouping, and that way you get at least a little bit of a mix in of of those things and then maybe you don't have to have them worked out with the players to every single thing that you get in each personnel group so that's one way i look at if i'm trying to make the game plan as simple as possible i could you know utilize some variation in specific situations moving on to the last idea from this game is defending bunch and run fits against bunch as well as a philosophy and how you handle the releases and guys getting into their pass routes i teach the bunch run fits it's really you try to teach especially if you stay in nickel if you're like 11 i'm talking like the three-man tight bunch where a lot of times the tight ends and yo right and then it's the it's the slot it's the x receiver probably as the on the ball guy and then the slot receiver that's the x he receiver outside receiver on the ball and then the slot receiver is the guy back and, and the widest guy and the deeper guy right so you got your three-man bunch and with a nickel on the field, I try to teach those run fits the same as you would crack replace. So if you're going to play the nickel, and there's a lot of different philosophies on it. You know, if, you, if you're a, a four-eye operation, if you're a tight front operation like Missouri was a lot, you're going to play the mic in the C-gap, so he's inside the tight end. So who's in the D-gap, right? If, if you're playing it out like it would be palms or something like that, or you're going to buzz down that side, then you slide the nickel inside the point man, and he's the D-gap, right? Well... So then the corner's outside the bunch. So if the nickel, the point man blocks down on the nickel, then the safety's got to trigger through that, right? It's no different than if we were in palms and two went and cracked the nickel. Safety's got to trigger through that. But the issue that Missouri did have twice was the nickel stayed in there. I think he might have been outside of two and was getting blocked down by one, but the same principle. Like If you're getting cracked, you have to fight the crack. You can't cross the crack until the ball has definitely declared. And so what happened one time was the Missouri player gets cracked. He's widening the guy out, doing a nice job fighting the crack, but he tears off and crosses the crack way early. You do it way early, and then the back just knifed in there and made a first down. So I think that just as they squeeze those guys down, you still have to teach the run fits the same as you would if they were flexed out. It's off the crack replaced. So if the safety and the nickel are kind of working together in a two-high system and he gets the nickel gets cracked, the safety's got to replace off of him. Well, if you put the nickel outside of two and one cracks in, the corner's got to come up and fight. But the underneath player has to stay in the crack and fight it. He's got to widen it, try to get big. I say pull the bow. Like, just try to stretch your, your inside arm out. 
and widen that guy out so you can get big in the gap and, and force the ball, you know, to the cracker place player or force it back into you and make the play. But I did think that there was a little bit that uh, Missouri could have done a little better playing those bunches and just not tearing out of them so quick. Okay. The other one, like you mentioned, just how some people play those, those routes and South Carolina didn't throw the ball, but down in the low red, Missouri kind of got in a little bit of too high. And typically what you do in too high, especially in passing situation, a lot of people play some version of like a box where the nickel is outside of two. And he's getting ready to take the first thing to the flat. And you got your safety in your corners, your two high points of the box, and the mic's the inside piece of the box. And a lot of people, it don't matter really what too high you're in, they're going to get to some variation of that in, if you're in split safety. But the one thing that is important, I think, is especially what you see in the low red is letting the corner take one if one stays one. And what happens is one will go to the flat for some people and the nickel will expand with him and then they'll run three to the flat as a trail and there's nobody with any tight coverage on him. You're expecting either your corner or your safety to come down and play that. And, you know, I just think that it's really hard for those guys to do that. And if I'm coaching offense and I'm number three receiver and I shoot to the flat and I see the nickel go out with number one, all we've got to do is sit down and catch the ball. There's nobody there's like South Carolina's guy kept chasing him and then pivoted out and then kind of ran to get covered. But if he would have just sat down, the ball thrown on time, he would have walked it in the end zone on, you know, in the first quarter. So I just think that it's an important distinction. I know it's a box concept and I've coached it like that before, but you know, we got to thinking about it. I'm like, you know, who is the guy that takes the second guy to the flat? If they drain your overhang out, your nickel Sam out with the first out cut. And, you know, you say, well, you can have the corner drive back on it, okay? It's not the easiest angle for him, right? You could have the safety drive down on it in the corner, kind of replace him and just kind of get over top of it all. It's possible, but we just felt like the best thing we could do is have the corner read one. One stays one, you got him. One goes in. Now it's going to play out like a true box because the likelihood is if one goes in, you're probably not getting double outs. So nickel takes the first one out. Now corner snaps eyes at the next one, so – yeah, I just think using that, playing with that in the red zone is, is important. If you're a too high operation and you go to like any type of square calls or box calls, I, you know, I've heard it called a lot of those things, but any type of that stuff that, that a lot of people run, I think it's important to, to understand what you're getting and how you're going to play double outcuts versus it. It comes back to a lot of those things we do in bunches. It's very similar. Like when you play man in a bunch and if you're going to man the point and in and out, in and out one and three, a lot of times you got, those two in and out players at five and seven and they're outside, you know, the inside guys inside of number three, the outside guys outside number one. And it's like, if they both go the same direction, somebody's going to be wide open, right? You almost, you got to keep it as tight as you can to be able to play them going in any direction. And so it's a similar concept. You have to, the most common thing we get is one in one out, one up, but there's still a good chance you can get one up, two out, one up, two in, and you got to be able to play that. You got to have leverage to play that. Yeah, definitely a sound way of, of handling those things because, yeah, those are the objectives of what you're going to try to do in bunch. Coach, moving on to our option tips of the week. A lot of what you are talking about here came from watching Temple and Navy. Yeah, I watched him. I thought Temple played him really tough. You know, obviously I knew Coach Elliott would have him prepared. He's uh, coached a lot of these, you know, coached, coached a lot of games versus the options and bowl games at Kentucky, I know for sure. And I know I think he was the – interim coordinator at Florida State his last game there and they played maybe Georgia Tech in the bowl game so I knew he'd, I knew he'd have a good game plan I knew they'd play hard but just a couple things that you just get reminded and something I've said on here before is you know the guy you have 
dedicated or to make that you expect to make the tackle on any given play versus the option. There's the backside safety in the alley or the backside back or the frontside back or however you're fitting it. The reality is, and you just see it over and over again, that's the guy that's probably going to make the tackle. Now, the, the hard part is, can we get the guy to key it fast enough, see it fast enough, and run fast enough to make it for, you know, plus two or less, to make an efficient play? Because what happens so often is, if the ball does circle the defense and they are able to get some space in the alley, it's still the same guy making the play. He just made it for plus nine or plus 11. So I think it's important when you're coaching this and you're saying, look, if you are the guy that's going to be the alley player and that ball is in the alley, there is nobody else to make the play. It will be your tackle. The likelihood is you'll make the tackle. It's just going to be on how fast, how well you practice it, how well you learn it, how fast you can key it, how fast you can get better as the game's going on. If you're going to be able to make those tackles for, you know, efficient plays or non-efficient plays. So, Always, always just uh, one lens to think of that is from, and then it, what that comes into play also is, do we have, are we counting our best guys to make the tackles? Because sometimes the things sound really good on the board and, and they look really good and maybe it is fundamentally and structurally the best way we can coach it, but sometimes it might count on a lesser player to make a tackle while we have a better player, you know, maybe being the cutback player or something like that. And I've been through that and, you know, you want to kind of try to, as you're building out these, game plans to play these option teams before you even get to the point of, of game week is you want to make sure you got the right players that are supposed to be making the tackles because there can be end up being a lot of space and it's going to take somebody to get them on the ground and they got to do it over and over and over again so you want to make sure it's, it's your guys that can really do it the other thing i would say get aggressive don't let the crack blocks be their aggressive tool and you don't have an answer so one thing that happened, you saw Navy, one thing Navy I thought they did really well was the receivers coming off the ball in like a stock position on the corner. They would be, you know, they would chop their feet, drop their hips like they're about to block the corner. And at the last second, they were bursting the safety and getting a, a good body position crack on the safety. And so the corner is now off the ball. He isn't able to come off. So I would say one, one great change up for that is if, if you're having a hard time with that is to be able to go to some traps right? Be able to use the corner, what you call cloud or trap, whatever, but use the corner on the pitch player, keep the safety out of it. Okay. I think that's a change up. I talked a lot on here about backer force and, you know, Temple was in a three, four structure. So they could have been using the outside backer some, which is good too, but which it helps with, with the cracks too, because the safety's coming straight downhill. He's not trying to run laterally through the alley. But the, the important thing is if they're really cracking you, especially out of um, only with one person wide, no, no detached slot, no like double crack, but just one person split out wide and they're able to crack the safeties and it's hard on your corners. First of all, back them up a little bit can be helpful. But secondly, play some trap force or some cloud force on the pitch. And that way it creates a little indecision on that receiver. He ends up blocking a half field player who is covering him anyway, doesn't have a run fit. So that's a great change up if they're having success. Uh, cracking you, especially when they're able to stock a little bit and then crack late. That's a good job by them. But the other thing they did, I thought Temple did a little bit, was they shaded the nose, which is interesting. I, I do like it. I think it can be good. I think that if you really got a beat on which way the fullback's going to go, it's really good. And you actually want, in my opinion, you want to shade. You, either way is fine. I kind of like shading away from where I think the fullback might go because the guy's going to, the center is going to try to veer into you a little bit and you can push him back and sometimes steal a gap. If your nose is pretty good, shading him and, and trying to steal a gap, working on that shade as they try to veer up to the backer is a, 
it's a pretty good idea. If you can get that, if your nose can come off and play with play with his hands and, and move the center laterally a little bit, sometimes that's a lot better than playing a straight lag technique where you got to come off, feel where he's going to veer, and then you put yourself in a shade, and then you got to close off that, try to close off the front side gap with his body. So, you know, it, it just kind of expedites the process of using the center to close off the front side gap. So, if you are an odd team against the option, look at you know possibly playing a shaded nose sometimes and and trying to close off, trying to steal a gap in there and, and wad it up to the fullback and let your backer play a little faster too. So, and those are the three things you notice from the game. Just the person you have dedicated to make the tackle on an option play is probably going to be the guy that makes it. It's our job to coach him up to get him to make it for an efficient play and not for a plus 11. Play aggressive with the cracks. Try to get in some cloud support, some trap support. Take the pitch with the corner and let the safety out of it. That way it you know, uh, messes up the timing and the indecision on the receiver who's doing the crack. And if you got a nose that can do it, shade him a little bit. You might be able to get some two-gap out of him and free up the backside backer to hit the defensive, hit the uh, fullback. Dan, another great analysis of some of the games here as well as the coaching points you're able to draw out of those. I appreciate the time that you put into that, the research that you do to prepare for these conversations. And we'll be back at it again next week as we get deeper into the season here. We have the first uh, FBS college football rankings coming out. So we are getting to crunch time here and, and heading into you know some rivalry weeks and a lot on the line. And certainly we're going to watch those games and learn from them. It's already November. You know, I, I uh, certainly love the, the role I'm in now and the situation I'm in, but, you know, the, when the crisp air starts hitting, it feels like football season, and, you know, I'm just sitting there watching it with everybody else. So uh, part of that is uh, it's uh, going to be a fun and interesting November to, to sit and watch. Earlier this season, we talked about self-scouting your game plan, and we're getting to that time of the year with some teams already in a clubhouse here, equipment's put away, and it's now time to look back on the season and reflect. Uh, it's a good time to have a self-scout. And Dan Carroll has put together a course on CoachTube called Make Sense of Your Self-Scout. And it's discovering the use of learning opportunities during the season to drive your off-season work and help you prepare for next season. As coaches who constantly evaluate our work, we must be conscious that nothing is more important than evaluating the game film. And... In this course, you learn to take an in-depth look at your game film and see how you can use it to further develop your program, especially on the defensive side of the ball. He covers everything from what the self-scout should address, where to start, what to watch, game padding, player development as a guide to the offseason, fundamentals and techniques, call efficiency, putting together a situational library, and roster decisions. So it's a very comprehensive plan for taking a look at your past season and making some decisions to move forward, especially in terms of how you develop your players for next season. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You click that link, you'll be able to save 25% on his course through the podcast here. So be sure to check that one out.